This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a dramatic helicopter evacuation in Sudan. Special Forces troops plunge into the war-torn country on a risky mission to bring U.S. personnel to safety. But thousands of Americans still remain. China's ambassador in France draws swift condemnation. That's for stating former Soviet republics like Ukraine and the Baltic states aren't sovereign nations. Find out how European foreign ministers are reacting. A fire breaks out at Disneyland in California. It happened during a popular show featuring a fire-breathing dragon. The extent of the damage is still being assessed. A huge migrant caravan forms in Mexico heading north for the capital, and we speak with an investigative journalist documenting the treacherous Darien Gap. And a massive parade in New York City marks a historic petition in China over two decades ago. Viewers say the event brings hope. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, April 24th. The U.S. military has evacuated all American government workers and their families from Sudan over. But over a hundred special forces took part in the operation. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. The rescue mission took only an hour. Special forces deployed MH-47 Chinook helicopters and other aircraft to swoop into Sudan's battle-stricken capital Khartoum on Saturday. The soldiers pulled nearly a hundred people out to safety. The White House says no one was attacked during the operation. Meanwhile, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says armed forces evacuated their diplomatic staff and family members from the war-torn country as well. Sunak paid tribute to what he called a complex and rapid evacuation. British Defense Minister Ben Wallace reacts. It was dangerous uh, and precarious, but nevertheless, we managed to use both uh, C-130s and A-400 aircraft to go in, uh, collect uh, our diplomats and their residents, and fly out to safety. Other countries such as Canada, Sweden, Italy, and Germany also reported evacuations, but some countries have faced problems. A convoy of French nationals was attacked with one person reportedly wounded, and the Egyptian government said one of its workers was shot and injured without giving details. People who are not government workers, such as foreign students or local Sudanese, have a less clear escape route. Some countries are encouraging people to head overland to the port of Sudan for an evacuation by sea. The U.S. says it may deploy Navy assets to the port to assist Americans arriving there, but warn it's a dangerous journey. The recent eruption of fighting between the Army and the Rapid Support Forces paramilitary group has triggered a humanitarian crisis. It has killed 420 people and trapped millions of Sudanese without access to basic services. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. As for the thousands of Americans still in Sudan, they've been told to shelter in place until further notice. Many are aid workers or Sudanese Americans. And more news overseas. Former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev says the Ukraine grain export deal is in peril. Medvedev warned on Sunday that Moscow would terminate the agreement if the G7 moved to ban exports to Russia. 
NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. The group of seven countries are considering a near-total ban on exports to Russia. Such exports would automatically be banned unless they are included on a designated list of products allowed to be shipped to the country. Under the current framework, goods are allowed to be sold to Russia unless they are explicitly blacklisted. Moscow has repeatedly rallied against the terms of the Black Sea grain deal, the only significant diplomatic breakthrough of the 14-month conflict in Ukraine. It has said it will walk away from the deal ahead of a May 18th deadline if the West does not lift restrictions on Russian agricultural and fertilizer exports. The G7 called on Sunday for the extension, full implementation and expansion of the deal to export Ukrainian grain through the Black Sea. In related news, Russia's Black Sea fleet reportedly repelled a drone attack on the Crimean port of Sevastopol early on Monday. Russia said its forces had advanced in Bakhmut while a top Ukrainian commander said his troops were holding the front line throughout the city. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And in more Ukraine-related news, the Baltic states are strongly condemning China's ambassador to France. That's for suggesting that former Soviet republics aren't sovereign nations. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has the reaction from Europe's foreign ministers. The envoy from the Chinese regime questioned the sovereignty of Ukraine and other former Soviet Union countries in a televised interview on Friday last week. The Chinese ambassador in Paris says ex-USSR countries don't have actual status in international law because there's no international agreement to materialize their sovereign status. Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielis Landsbergis tweeted out his concern on Saturday, citing the comments as an example of why the Baltic states don't trust China to broker peace in Ukraine. Estonian Foreign Minister Margus Sakna called the comments false and a misinterpretation of history. His Latvian counterpart, Edgars Rinkovich, said the statements were completely unacceptable. European Union Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell shared that view, calling the remarks unacceptable on Sunday. A senior Ukrainian presidential aide called the statements absurd. The foreign ministers are summoning China's ambassadors to explain the envoy's comments. The European Union and NATO members, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania, regained their independence in 1991 during the fall of the Soviet Union. That was after nearly five decades of Moscow's rule. Russian President Vladimir Putin does not recognize the sovereignty of Ukraine. The Kremlin has made it clear that it perceives the independence of the Baltic states and their active role in NATO and the EU as threats to Russia's security. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. France's foreign ministry responded to the comments yesterday. It stated full solidarity with allied countries that it says acquired independence after decades of oppression. The French ministry asked China to clarify if the ambassador's comments reflect its position. And more on China, the U.S. is asking South Korea to urge its microchip makers not to fill any market gap in China. That's if Beijing bans Micron technology from selling chips. The Chinese regime launched a national security review into the U.S. company earlier this month. Micron says it's cooperating with the investigation. It says its operations in China remain normal. The U.S. asked South Korea to encourage Samsung and SK Hynix not to boost sales to China if Micron is banned as a result of the probe. That's according to a report from the Financial Times yesterday. The U.S. has imposed export controls on chip-making technologies to China and has blacklisted China's largest chip firms, including Micron's Chinese rival. That's out of concern the technology will be used for military applications. 
A parade of thousands hit the streets of New York City over the weekend. The event marked what is known as the largest peaceful petition ever in communist China. 24 years ago, over 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners visited Beijing, appealing for their right to peacefully practice their belief. Fairy floats, marching bands, and dragon dances, 4,000 Falun Gong practitioners gathered in Flushing on Sunday for a massive parade. I'm so happy to see this parade. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel lucky today, you know, to run into this parade. Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, is a spiritual practice combining meditation and gentle exercise, and a focus on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. After its public introduction in 1992, it attracted tens of millions of practitioners in China within several years. But the communist regime began to see its emphasis on spirituality and free thought as a threat to its own power. The regime began assaulting and arresting Falun Gong practitioners in certain regions. On April 25, 1999, about 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners arrived in Zhongnanhai, the CCP's central headquarters in Beijing. In a peaceful manner, they appealed to China's authorities to allow them the freedom to practice and to stop the harassment. There was a policeman standing next to me, so I went over and told him about our appeal. He exclaimed, in all these years, I have never seen such peaceful petitioners as your group. The Chinese Communist Party framed the petition as a siege of its headquarters and used it to justify the persecution campaign that followed soon after. For over two decades, countless Falun Gong practitioners have been imprisoned, tortured, and even murdered for their organs. But the practice of peaceful petitioning spread throughout China and the world, with practitioners raising awareness of the brutal human rights abuses still going on today. The appeal on April 25th, 24 years ago, was a peaceful and rational petition that set a noble and moral monument for people to fight for freedom of faith and basic human rights. And it's a day of courage, it's a day of unity, it's a day of inspiration that we're still here, and that with the courage, forbearance, and truthfulness that everybody can stand together and, and the worst has happened and the best is yet to come. Onlookers said they were deeply impressed by this spirit. Such a parade would be very educational for those Chinese who still defend the CCP after coming to the U.S. It's not easy. They have made the greatest sacrifice for the well-being of the Chinese people. We should stand firm and support a Falun Gong. Those efforts won't go in vain. This group of heroic men and women, the students of the noble and moral teacher Li Hangzhi, the founder of Falun Gong, and them I see the hope of humanity. The event ended with a rally where human rights groups called for an end to the persecution in China. At the site, 20 Chinese announced their withdrawal from the Communist Party and its two affiliated groups. To date, over 400 million people have made similar statements at the Global Service Center for quitting the CCP. NTD News, New York. And just ahead, a new migrant caravan forms in Mexico heading north. The group is heading for Mexico City. Many say they formed in protest. Find out why. Deep pockets, strong physiques, and military-trained accents. An investigator suspects that some Chinese migrants heading to the U.S. are actually spies. We'll bring you the story after the break.
In other news, a fire at California's Disneyland over the weekend. Spectators watched in awe as a fire-breathing animatonic dragon suddenly burst into flames. Footage shows the fire during Disney's Fantasmic performance. The dragon, which usually spews fire from its mouth, burst into flames. Saturday's show was stopped shortly after it caught fire. The performance takes place twice a night near the park's famous Tom Sawyer Island. The highlight of the show features Mickey Mouse battling a giant dragon. But Mickey reportedly vanished from the stage as soon as the dragon's head became engulfed in flames. The extent of the damage wasn't immediately known. According to the local fire department, no injuries were reported. And in other fire-related news, a frightening moment in Ohio. A bird strike sparked an airplane engine fire on Sunday. The incident happened shortly after takeoff from Columbus International Airport. The American Airlines flight departed around 7.45 a.m. and was headed to Phoenix. The fire was detected shortly after. The Boeing 737 returned safely to the airport, where firefighters quickly doused the flames. It's not clear how many passengers and crew members were aboard. Passengers were rerouted to other flights. Airport officials said airport operations remained as usual, with only minor flight delays. No injuries were reported. The Federal Aviation Administration will investigate. And from aviation to retail, Bed Bath & Beyond filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on Sunday. The home goods retailer failed to secure funds to stay afloat and has begun a liquidation sale. The company reported a loss of nearly $400 million for the quarter that ended last November. In the bankruptcy filing, the retailer said it expects to close all of its stores by June 30th. For now, the stores will remain open. The store closings will put thousands of jobs at risk. According to the court filing, the company employs 14,000 workers. And in other news, down in Mexico, there's a new migrant caravan heading for Mexico City. It's made up of thousands of people. Many say they are angry about the fire at a detention center that killed 40 people last month. The group formed in protest yesterday to head for the capital. The detention centers near Guatemala have been overwhelmed by the vast number of people coming across the border. The migrants are demanding that detention centers be closed. That's after being held for months in southern Mexico. Some say they expected to reach Mexico City in about 10 days and hope to speed up their applications for U.S. asylum. Authorities estimate the caravan has about 3,000 migrants. Most are from Venezuela. They are fleeing poverty and violence in the socialist country. Officials say some in the caravan are from China and other Asian countries. Now we keep looking into this migration to the U.S. We speak with an investigator who just emerged from the Darien Gap, the jungle between Colombia and Panama. It's a treacherous pass through which migrants journey to reach America. He says that some of the Chinese individuals moving through this region are actually heading to the U.S. to be spies. He cites their apparent age, physical build, particular accent that's usually learned in Chinese military language school, and unusually deep pockets for people migrating to support his claim. Have a listen. Joining me now is Michael Yan, war correspondent and author. It's great to have you with us, Michael. Can you tell us more about these military-aged Chinese individuals that you encountered and had a chance to interview? Chinese are of particular interest. And there are, at this point, about 200 a day coming through. That number is you know, constantly increasing. You know, a couple of years ago, I would hear stories about Chinese down here. 
because I come here a lot checking the jungle paths and whatnot. You can see on a lot of the videos that I've published or that Masako Ganaha has published or Anthony Rubin, uh, we were just down there together in the jungle. I uh, have brought quite a few people down there, actually. And you can see that these, these Chinese, uh, for instance, one the other night, I don't know if you saw, saw the video, but I was with Anthony Rubin and Masako and this one Chinese man, we call him Chai Ninja because he was dressed like a ninja. He had just come out of the Darien Gap. It was late at night, dark. He was walking up Highway 1 in the direction of the United States, and we talked with him. He was very tired. He had just come through the jungle. He was hungry, and he was itching. He, was, he had, been, had been eaten up by these bugs called marangai is what the Indians call them. I've been eaten up by these bugs before. They can put you in an emotional state, which is a great state for people to leak, and that includes intelligence people. He said straight up that he was a spy. Now, some people say a spy would never tell you that he's a spy. Well, the people that would say that have obviously just never been a spy because spies actually will tell you sometimes they are spies. And he actually said it. And uh, it was interesting, and we've got it on video. But anyway, he said that he had just uh, been in the Bahamas about – okay, this was seven days ago that we interviewed him, right? So it was literally one week ago today. And he said that he – well, we met him just as he came out of the Darien Gap. Let's backtrack. From the Darien Gap, he had come through Colombia, and from there he had landed in Quito, uh, 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 Ecuador. From Quito, he had gotten to Quito from Cuba. How did he get to Cuba? He said that he had been to Bahamas, and we know that Chinese do go through Bahamas now, and he had bought a boat for $5,000 in the Bahamas, and he was sailing towards Florida. He ran out of gas. The U.S. Coast Guard picked him up. Michael, can you speak more on why you suppose these are spies as opposed to simply economic migrants? Well, you're at NTD, and you guys are more dialed in than most on this sort of stuff. How did he get his passport? Now, everybody at NTD knows you're not going to get a passport when you're, when you're just an economic migrant and from, from mainland China now. You're just not going to get it. So how are all these people getting these passports? And how are they showing up with wads of cash? They have a lot of money, these Chinese coming through. And, and we know that because they're pay they take a special route through Darien Gap. They take boat routes. They take, for instance, one route from Copacabana, Colombia, and then they'll, they'll, they'll bypass most of the Darien Gap. They'll bypass it and go by sea, and they go up to these Kuna Indian villages at Ano Chicana, and I'm, I've been down to these villages checking it out. And, and other places, Careto, and then they'll walk about two days through the jungle through a much safer route. It's still a little bit difficult, but it's nothing like the epic real Darien Gap route through the Mountain of Death. And all, there's actually Montaña de la Muerte, the Mountain of Death. They don't go through any of that stuff. And none of the Chinese women coming through ever report being raped. And uh, the, the other women, I mean, it's costal. I mean, that's why they hand out these rape kits. I mean, the rapes are just like, you can just expect to be raped and uh, if you're coming through. And, uh, and, and, and all sorts of women are raped, young and old, and children and everything else. And, but not the Chinese. The Chinese are paying more. Uh, many have said they paid about $20,000 to get from China to Quito, Ecuador, and then up to where we're at, where we finally intercept them in Darien Gap. Michael Yan, war correspondent and author, thank you so much for giving us an update on your reporting. Thank you. I really appreciate your having me on. This was, I know it was difficult to, to pull this together, but we did. Yeah, and Tip, then those rape kits he was talking about, they're basically filled with contraceptives, abortion pills, and other items. 
It is sad that it's so common and often an unavoidable reality for these migrants. Yeah, and Jan also mentioned how migrants are given detailed maps that show train routes and cities with individual cell phone numbers with people that can be contacted along the way with places to shower and so on. It is hard to imagine how hazardous the conditions they face every day. Yeah, and if you want to watch the full interview, you can see it on our website, ntd.com. Coming up, we take a look at an Indiana family farm that has shifted its focus to a traditional farming methods with some astounding results. Welcome back. When we think of farming, modern techniques generally come to mind. But a family farm in Indiana is taking a different approach. Instead of raising cash crops, they've decided to try regenerative farming. Here's more on what that involves and the results it can yield. Deep in Indiana's beautiful countryside lies Seven Sons Farm, over 500 acres of perennial pasture. The farm is family run by, as the name gives away, Seven Sons. What makes the farm unique is the focus on raising animals on native grasslands. Blaine Hitzfield is the CEO of distribution on the farm. It's considered economic suicide to not raise cash crops, um, but, but on that perennial pastures, we're raising animals like cattle. We've typically raised a couple hundred head of cattle on our farm each year. We have over a thousand lambs that graze through the pastures. There's 14,000 laying hens that migrate throughout the pastures following the grazing animals, just like wild birds would do. The farm also raises pigs. Until the late 1990s, Seven Sons Farm used to operate like most other farms in the area, using pesticides and antibiotics and raising cash crops. But when Blaine's mother was diagnosed with a severe autoimmune disorder, the family's focus shifted. It made them realize that growing food in healthy, uncontaminated soil makes a huge difference for them as well as their customers. We used to sell to Tyson Foods, which is one of the largest pork and beef packers in the world. And that's when we discovered, even if we put more time and attention into a, the food that we raise, uh, we're not gonna get rewarded for it. In order to get reward for it, we can't sell to Tyson Foods. We need to sell to consumers that have values and that value healthy food, healthy soil. And that's what we've done at Seven Sun. According to Blaine, regenerative farming ultimately increases the health and the microbiology of the soil, eliminating the need for pesticides or even chemical fertilizer. One of the most important soil organisms you can have, that a farmer can have, is earthworms. Earthworms digest plant material and turn it into organic matter. Um, and uh, earthworms produce high amounts of natural um, uh, phosphorus and natural nitrogen that otherwise a farmer has to go out and buy and apply. Um, so earthworms are incredibly critical. Blaine says the farm's priority lies not in sustainability, but regeneration, turning what is there into something better. We believe that when a consumer pays us money for food and we make that exchange, we believe at that moment in time, we become personally responsible for their health and well-being. And I think that that's just a belief that we take to heart. And I do think that if every farmer in the world took that belief to heart, we would change the agriculture system. We would make different choices. 
His advice for those who want to make changes, be it farmer or consumer, is not to get caught up in perfection, but take small steps forward. Just look at how happy those animals are. And Kevin, you actually have experience with homesteading. So what did you make of that? Oh, well, to be honest, I'm really impressed with the sustainable method that they're using. And you know, Tiff, for this next story, try not to laugh. Few people who've had their chips or ice cream stolen by a seagull would have any sympathy for the noisy birds. But on Sunday, a town in Belgium staged a seagull imitating competition. It was an effort to change the image of a bird that many regard as a pest. About 50 entrants were judged on their skills at imitating the gull's screeches and movements. Happy. <laughs> a, bit, uh, a bit overwhelmed still, but uh, very happy to win here. <laughs> I study theater and for a school job uh, we had to look for an animal and I just got fascinated by the seagull. Well Tiff, I'm not gullible enough to join a seagull imitation contest. <laughs> they, they were putting all of their energy into that. <laughs> yeah, very entertaining. Gosh, well, that's all from us today on this program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.